uh, it was something that should have never happened. It should have been easy to condemn. Uh, and instead, one year on, um, uh, the trend towards delegitimizing institutions, the trend towards believing that if you can, uh, you should, you must, that any means uh, can be used to justify an end, uh, that is alive and well. It really hit home when they came in and told us to sit on the floor, put our heads down, uh, that people had guns and were probably going to try to shoot at us. There's going to be a ton of money spent in the Lansing TV market on ads in this race. I feel (laughs) safe predicting that one. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top story served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thursday marked the one-year anniversary of the January 6th riot where zealous Donald Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building in order to stop the certification of the 2020 election they believed to have been stolen. Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell was there on that day, and she looks back with Paul W. Smith. Look, it was a very scary day. I was on the House floor. You were trying to call me. I wasn't, you know, our phones didn't work. I I mean, here is the reality. I didn't realize what was happening when we were initially on the floor. Uh, uh, It really hit home when they came in and told us to sit on the floor, put our heads down, uh, that people had guns and were probably going to try to shoot at us to take out our gas masks. I've never put a gas mask on in my life. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that some people, not everybody who came that day came, but some people came with the intent on committing violence. I'm so it's glad crazy. you pointed I've pointed it out a million times. It's good to hear someone who was caught up in the heat of the moment understand, realize, and reiterate not everybody that came there was hell-bent for all of the bad activity that took place. I think, I think some were stunned that it happened. They're, and they, I think they really were. But, I do, you know, many, some people came wearing tactical gear. They had chemical agents. They, you know, they used batons and sticks. And they killed people that day. I mean, some, some actually, you know, I think it's probably a very core group small group of the many that were there came prepared to kill people and that should bother us they smashed doors and windows they defecated it and wrapped it on the walls they you know they ransacked offices and they were searching for leaders it was an awful day and it wasn't a check on our democracy today i'm going to go at noon and serve lunch to the national guard michigan had more than half the national guard that kept us safe for the next two months at the capitol and those are my heroes those are the ones that inspire me every day. They love our country. And we need to think about why we love our country. We can't take our democracy for granted. But you, wait, let me ask you this. Uh, you just made such a good point again and again. But do we need to think about why this happened? Why there are that many people that are causing this trouble? Why? In fact, I, I don't know if this is a correct one. This comes from CNN, too, that you, that you say that you have a hate tunnel that you've been the focus of. So so what the heck is all that about? I don't know. You know, once, I mean, that's taken out of context a little, but, you know, I get death threats every week. You know that. Um, uh, And I don't know. I mean, I don't do anything but exist. And I think that what I want people to do is to think, I mean, I know the people that on my Facebook every day, I'm not posting on Facebook today because I don't want to read my trolls. But they spew hate and vitriolicness. But it's not me, Paul W. It's what's happening in our communities. What you see in the House is representative of how easy it's become to bully somebody at school. A waitress at the Coney Island that you know I love my junk food, 
told me she's quitting. Worked for her there 35 years, and she's just not going to take the way people are treating her anymore. Peter Meyer was a freshman congressman on January 6, 2021. Meyer, who has received backlash in his own party for being one of the few Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump after the insurrection, was on all talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. It was a, a dark day. Uh, it was something that should have never happened. It should have been easy to condemn. Uh, it should have been a, a no-brainer to say we need to do everything we can to make sure that we never get to that precipice again, that the lawful and orderly transition of government is a hallmark of our system. Uh, it is unique and it must be protected. Uh, and instead, one year on, um, uh, the trend towards delegitimizing institutions, the trend towards believing that if you can, uh, you should, you must, that any means uh, can be used to justify an end, uh, that is alive and well. And I think it's a very dangerous place that we're in, uh, where our government and, and our politics are no holds bar, and we just do not have any sense of discipline or restraint among the fringes on either side. How important is it, in your opinion, to continue to investigate everyone who is involved and hold people accountable? I think we need. It's absolutely essential that we have a clear understanding of of what occurred, uh, of of who was responsible, um, whether those were criminal violations or things that fell just short. It's important that we have a full and complete accounting of the facts so that that never happens again. So, again, we do not come to that same precipice. You've said recently how important it is that we understand the preconditions that led to this riot, that we don't get into a habit of violently contesting our elections every four years. Is the January 6th committee going to come to the right conclusions, do you think? Are you convinced future attacks will be prevented by this? I don't know. Uh, I hope, uh, but I think it's it's too early to tell. Uh, I did not support the select committee. I supported a bipartisan independent commission, and I'm still disappointed. I think it was a massive mistake that that was not enacted, that that died in the Senate. Uh, I think it's important that we have an investigation that can be viewed as objective and beyond uh, the influence of more petty partisan aims. Uh, but again, I, when it comes to the January 6th Select Committee, I will judge them by their work product. I will view referrals that come to the House in general on their merits, uh, and I don't want to predetermine you know, what that outcome may be. Yeah, maybe like a 9-11 commission might have been better, but some of the preconditions that we've been talking about might have been the different perception, maybe the political viewpoints of what's right and wrong in our election system. The Democrats and Republicans, they disagree on what constitutes a risk to election integrity. The GOP thinks these two bills moving through Congress are dangerous. Democrats say the GOP is trying to restrict voting rights by opposing these bills. Both claim these are election integrity issues, and it seems that might have been the precondition leading up to this. Where do you stand on, on this issue? Yeah, I, I think you need to look at things objectively. Uh, I mean, one of the things I told um, you know, uh, supporters of the former president leading up to January 6th is if you want to make allegations of fraud that cannot be substantiated in a perjurable jurisdiction, right, that are not uh, meted out and, and disputed in a court of law, that are not investigated by credible bodies making a, a criminal determination, uh, if you want to just go off of innuendo and argument, 
you are opening the door for the exact same argument to be made on uh, the opposing side. You know, what someone on the right may call voter fraud, someone on the left may allege was voter suppression and how many tens of thousands more ballots would have been cast if X, Y, or Z would have happened. And so that, that subjectivity, I think, is very dangerous. And I've been uh, incredibly dismayed at how efforts to reform the Electoral Count Act, which, if you recall, leading up to certification on January 6th, that was the argument, the unconstitutionality or the vagueness of the Electoral Count Act of 1887 was where a lot of the objections lay. And instead of working to reform the Electoral Count Act, I've, I've seen Democrats arguing, well, we need to keep that ambiguity so that you know, uh, Vice President Harris in 2024 uh, can stare down um, you know, a Republican uh, Republicans in, in state legislatures. I've seen other arguments that say, well, yeah, we're happy. We, we agree that there's an issue with the Electoral Count Act, but if we don't do all of these 30 other things, you know, it won't be worth it. And it feels like we're arguing about what color to paint the kitchen and refusing to grab the fire extinguisher and put out the fire in the basement until we decide on the paint color. New congressional maps have been approved by the Redistricting Commission. The new maps are not without controversy, eliminating two majority black districts in Detroit, forcing a lawsuit from lawmakers of color, and causing other representatives to move in order to maintain residence in their district, while forcing others to run against each other in newly combined districts. Craig Mauger of the Detroit News helps Chris Renwick make sense of it. There's a, there is a multitude of congressional races shaping up here that are just going to be fascinating, and you hit on one of them. You have Peter Meyer who's in his first term in the U.S. House representing Grand Rapids. His district was drawn now going forward in a way that makes it more competitive for Democrats. So he's going to have a situation likely where he's facing a Trump-backed candidate in the GOP primary. And then in the general election, Democrats will probably likely go in heavily to try to beat him there. And that, that's going to be quite a race uh, in that Grand Rapids seat. And what changed, I should say, is that seat now reaches up to include Muskegon. So you've kind of connected to Democrat, Democratic-leaning communities there. And, and remember, uh, it, it was uh, Representative or, or Congressman Meyer who uh, voted to impeach Donald Trump. So you talk about the yes. primary there for the Republicans. Uh, that could spell trouble for him if, if if that's something that the party decides to do. But but look, Peter Meyer won against Hillary Shulton uh, back in 2020 by six percentage points. It's not a huge margin, but that's a comfortable margin. And so whether or not the party says, look, let's keep a, a Republican in that seat, that's going to be priority number one. And then uh, whoever the Democrats trot out, certainly Hillary Shulton could be one of them next door in the fourth district is another interesting one. Uh, you're talking about a district now where you're going to see Bill Heisinger's district and Fred Upton's district basically combine. And whether or not it, it kind of seems uh, there has been at least maybe something in the tea leaves that says Fred Upton may not want to run in a primary against another Republican. Um, but that's going to be another interesting race as two of the Republicans in the delegation are potentially going to do battle. Yeah, I mean, and as it stands right now, we are kind of expecting Upton and Huizenga to, to square off in that primary. It's possible that Representative Upton decides it's time to retire. But as it stands right now, a lot of people close to him are thinking he's probably going to run again. So you've got two very well-known GOP incumbents set to potentially face off there. And an X factor in this race is you've got a state representative named Steve Cara 
who President Trump uh, endorsed previously to run against Upton, and Carr is saying he's going to run in the fourth district, <laughs> possibly as well. So I mean, this, this is the kind of uh, these are the kind of fireworks that the, these new maps have set off for sure. Yeah, and I want to try to get to some of the other ones, too. Another interesting one here is the 6th District. That's the Washtenaw County area. Uh, Debbie Dingle has represented the 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 uh, well, the 7th for quite a while, right? It's the 7th District. Um, and so uh, now you're going to... The 12th, 12th. Oh, I'm sorry, the 12th. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Um, the 12th District. And so now uh, I understand that Debbie Dingle anticipates moving into this new district. Uh, it's an area that she's familiar with, but again, it kind of branches out. She's going to hit some new areas. Uh, how important is it going to be for somebody like Congresswoman Dingle uh, to, to get acquainted with a lot of these new folks? It seems like that's going to be a Democrat lean uh, in, yeah. in the ballot, but, but it's certainly going to be interesting for her that she's going to have to up and move. Yeah, it will be interesting for her, that, you know, that she's going to move there. I mean, the an advantage that she has is she's very well known in the Washtenaw County portion of that district where a lot of the population lives. And secondly, I mean, the Dingle name is well known just about anywhere in the state, correct? So she, she has a huge advantage in that seat. It's very Democratic-leaning. You know, there has been some question in dim circles about whether – uh, a progressive could try to mount a primary challenge to her in 2022 or another election. You know, that is something to watch. Abdul El-Sayed is a name that has been floated out there. I have not heard anything from him that he's actually looking at that, but that is a storyline that is out there. Uh, I did see a situation uh, involving a, a, a battleground uh, a, a district here in the seventh. That's going to be really interesting. Alyssa Slotkin is is somebody that I think, as a as a moderate, appeals to certainly both sides of the aisle. If you're a an independent or a Republican or perhaps a a moderate Democrat, where CIA, she's got that background in in intelligence. Um, she is much more of a moderate as opposed to some of the more liberals in the base. Um, but you've got a, a, a somebody. In Tom Barrett, who could potentially be running, who has a lot of name appeal in this in this state, in the Lansing area. And that could be a really fun race to watch. Yeah, I mean, that could be the swing seat of all swing seats in this state in 2022. And, and you know, something as someone that, you know, I write about politics regularly. These two individuals, Alyssa Slotkin and Tom Barrett, are viewed as as rising stars in their party. They're viewed as people that could go on and run for higher office, maybe U.S. Senate, maybe governor down the road. And you're going to have a situation here, most likely, where these two are running against each other in a major U.S. House race that could have implications for what party has control of the U.S. House yeah. nationally. There's going to be a ton of money spent in the Lansing TV market on ads in this race. <laughs> I, I feel yeah. safe predicting that one. Uh, another really interesting race, and, and I don't want to touch on it too much because I think it's it's going to speak for itself. It, this is going to be, you know, the, the the heavyweight battle in this state in the tenth district, where where you're going to see a, a couple of incumbents that are having these seats uh, 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 combined in in Andy Levin and Haley Stevens. They're both going to try to run in the tenth in the in the primary there. Then you've got somebody like John James 
who apparently is being uh, considered to run for that seat as well. You've got a couple of other prominent Democrats or excuse me, Republicans that could be in that spot, too. Uh, That's going to be a really interesting battle. In the last minute I got with you here, Craig, if you could explain to me from your perspective what these maps mean, uh, this is it seems like these are going to be some pretty high competitive highly sought after seats after these redrawings. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, this is the takeaway that I'm having after analyzing these maps. There's four significant battleground U.S. House seats out of the 13. Now, in the state Senate, there's going to be a major battle for control of that chamber. Its control will be up in the air for the first time in a very long time. Mm -hmm. In the state House, we got a massive amount of new swing seats. So competition is going to be high. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is now out of quarantine. She had a COVID scare earlier this week when her husband tested positive for the virus, and she tested negative before social distancing via telephone with Paul W. Smith. It's the insidious part of this virus. You know, I'm, I'm really glad we're, we're vaccinated and boosted. And But, you know, Mark and I and, and the kids, we had a very quiet, um, you know, Christmas and, and New Year holiday. We didn't do much. We didn't see anybody. And somehow he's the one person in the family that um, somehow contracted COVID. We cannot figure it out. And fortunately, no one else has tested positive. And it's been mild because he's vaccinated and boosted. And I think that's maybe a, a lesson um, for everyone is, you know, this this virus is so easy to catch. And if you are boosted, you'll stay out of the hospital. And if you quick to act as soon as you think someone might uh, be infected, you can keep others from getting infected. And that's why I think being isolated and and being boosted, he's going to get through it and he's doing okay. Well, thank goodness for that. And, uh, and you're right. What we found is with Omicron that the, at least the current reaction, nobody knows what anything's going to be like several months from now or years, whatever but that it's much milder. If you're going to get one, Omicron would be the one to get. And not that anyone should want to get one, but if you get one, this is the one. And maybe this leads us to that, finally, that herd immunity. I, I don't know. Do you see either a uh, light at the end of the tunnel that is not a speeding train coming right at us, or do you see us just learning to live with this like we live with the flu? Well, you know, I don't know. And I think it's important for everyone to admit that, right? Right. I'm listening to our, our epidemiology experts and our um, public health experts, and we know viruses mutate. Like, we've always known this. This is what they do. And like the flu, um, perhaps this is something that we'll have to, you know, consider a vaccination every six months or once a year. Or what, what that looks like, we don't necessarily know. But we do know it's respiratory in nature and masking up and availing ourselves of these vaccines are are the best way to stay out of the hospital and to stay alive. And that's, that's the goal now. In the early days when we didn't have these tools, it was avoid it at all costs. Um, Now it is protect yourself, be smart, um, avail yourself of these protections and stay out of the hospital because our, the people who have been on the front line in our hospitals are exhausted. Our workforce is struggling they have, they're showing up every day, and if we can do anything individually and collectively to ease their burden, uh, we need to because we all count on those systems to, to get through and to be there when we really, really need them. And if we can stay out of, of their way uh, right now, we need to. 
will put a governor, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, uh, no governor has ever gone through what she's gone through in her terms in office, the floods, the pandemics, all of these things. And uh, what is your agenda for 2022? Because there's a lot of work to be done for the state that, that has nothing to do with COVID, even though it dominates the news. That's right. And I know every one of us would like COVID to be a chapter behind us. And for, fortunately, we are you know, able to chew gum and walk at the same time. We're doing a lot of good things. We've got the economic development package done at the end of the year, a great bipartisan victory that tells the world Michigan is we've got cutting edge tools, we can solve problems and we can move quick. I think we're going to see some great investments happening here. Uh, we are we extended child care to 105,000 more kids in Michigan. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff happening, but there certainly is more work to do. And I think it's really important that we keep the people's business and our economy front and center and let all the ugly partisan stuff go to the side because we got we got to make these first two quarters of this year really productive. And, and I'm excited about the opportunity ahead of us. Uh, your latest take on kids being in school or out of school. Uh, and, and you know, we've got a lot of people that are not going into school, colleges, Detroit public schools, et cetera. They're doing it remotely again. What's your latest take on that? Well, you know, we know that the Omicron variant's been a huge disruption in all of our day-to-day activities. And I know parents are are worried. I know that teachers are, and I want to keep our students in class, but we need to keep them safe. And that's why um, I think the work that we did to infuse more resources for schools, work we've done to ensure that students have tests, um, the work that we've done to make vaccines easy to, to get, and they are free of charge, and they work. All of these are components to keeping our kids in school. That's, that's the goal here. But obviously, the health of our students is front and center. And so, so many districts have embraced masks. I think it's really important. And those who haven't yet, they really should seriously um, consider doing that because it's the best way to keep our kids safe and in school. They'll do it for Pod Sui this week. For full interviews or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.